Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. You can tell it's my first time, can't you? I'm not sure how these clip mic things work. I was actually going to be a real prima donna and say, can anyone get me a clip mic? Because I need to be able to move my hands a little bit here. So thank you, Phil, for providing that. And it's great also that Owen mentioned Joe because I was going to do that in a minute. So um, I won't do that again. But Joe, yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you for your help. Um, So we're going to start our first um, series um, in the vision cycle. So it's the third part of that cycle. And it is serving the community. So thank you, Owen. It's very brave of you to to trust me with this opening (laughs) preach. So hopefully I set a good tone for what's about to follow. Uh, It is the third cycle. The first one was building the church. The second one is glorifying God. And now we're going to concentrate on serving the community. So uh, in true Owen Hilton style, I've come up with four Ps. (laughs) So a P for each word. Uh, to, to represent the things I'm going to say. So we're going to look at purpose. We're going to look at why you are created. We're going to look at passion. And I'm going to give you some examples of people that were passionate to the end. I'm going to give you some reassurance that you don't have to be an expert, that you just need to be proximate. And I'm going to let you know that God has a plan for this church and his people to help those on the run find refuge. Does that sound all right? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. I'm just going to quickly start and pray. Yeah, Father God, we thank, I thank you that um, there's this opportunity just to share uh, the message that you've put on my heart. Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, this is something that I've been really passionate about. Lord, um, it's not actually always been easy to articulate sometimes the way that, um, that I just feel and do things. But there's an opportunity here, Lord, and I really pray that it will be your word, that it will be true to your word, and that it will speak to your church and actually that we will leave here uh, a little bit more uh, informed and certainly a little bit more inspired to go out and do the things you've called us to do. Yes. To ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which, the to- which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Does anyone else find that potentially the most depressing (laughs) verse? Not only in the Bible, but probably in in all literature. It is really downbeat, isn't it? I actually love it. I love it, but that's just the weird sort of way that I am. (laughs) um, My favourite film, for example, is um, a film called Requiem for a Dream which is a really dark film. I don't think any of you bothered. I can see that no one's seen that. You probably don't want to see it unless you're in a really good place. Um, there's, there's a book um, called The Road that's one of my favourite books. Some of you might know that. That's a bit of a, a depressing story again. Um, and I support Reading. Reading Football Club. So <laughs> I must be a real glutton for punishment, mustn't I? But they, uh, they're not doing too well. They haven't done very well for a long time. So, so I don't have much hope there. But thanks thank be to God that unlike the teacher in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I have meaning in my life and I have a purpose. 
the great, maybe not the great, Russell Brand says, <laughs> unless you assume a God, the questions of life's purpose is meaningless. I recently uh, attended an HTB conference and I heard a guy speak called John Maxwell, who's a, a well-known Christian author and is a speaker, and, and his focus is around leadership. And he said there are six different ways to be motivated, one of which is purpose. Now, he, he didn't mention the other five, so I can only assume that they're not important. <laughs> Clearly, purpose is a motivating factor. As Christians, we never have to feel that life is meaningless. We have the assurance of a relationship with God through Jesus and the salvation that he offers through grace. It isn't just depressing books that I read, however. In The Purpose Driven Life, which is a little bit more uplifting, Rick Warren says this, It's not about you. The purpose of your life is greater than your own personal fulfilment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Let me read you a passage from Matthew, which is known as the Great Commission, which were the last words before Jesus ascended to heaven. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a well-known passage, isn't it? And these four verses have been really pivotal to, to me as a Christian and probably been the biggest influence on me on any scripture. When I read these words as a teenager, I just couldn't ignore them. Rick Warren says, it's the great commandment, not the great suggestion. Great commandment, not the great suggestion. It's what we're told to do. Now, so now that we know we have a purpose, that God himself has called us to an important mission, that alone should help inspire us or inspire a passion in us. It was good to be reminded by Phil, I think you did a talk recently, and I think you said passion fuels proclamation. I don't take a lot away, but I've got that one little phrase. And that's, no, that's nothing on you, that's just the way that I operate. If I remember one word, that's an achievement. So a whole sentence is, is really good. Um, and I want to give, well, I was going to give three. I will tr still try and give three inspiring accounts of people that had a passion for Jesus. Um, this is a story of Rick Warren's dad. So Rick Warren is, again, he's the author of that book, The Purpose Driven Life. He's a well-known American pastor. <clears throat> the night before my father died, my wife, my niece and I were in his bedroom by his side. Dad suddenly became very agitated and tried to get out of bed. Of course, he was too weak to get up, so Kay insisted he laid back down. But he kept persisting in trying to get out of bed. Finally, Kay, in exasperation, said, Jimmy, you cannot get up. You are dying. We will get you whatever you need. What are you trying to do? 
my dad replied, I've got to save one more for Jesus. I've got to save one more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. He, be- he began to repeat that phrase over and over. It's no exaggeration to say that in the next hour, he repeated that phrase probably a hundred times. Got to save one more for Jesus. As I sat on the bed with tears flowing down my cheeks, I bowed my head to thank God for the legacy of my father's compassionate faith. While my head was bowed, my dad reached out and placed his frail hand on my head and said, as if commissioning me to a a sacred calling, reach one more for Jesus. Reach one more for Jesus. It was a holy moment and I knew what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life. Now, I was um, at this point going to show you a clip from a film because I like to be visual and, and do things that are a bit um, easy to follow for me. Um, unfortunately, because of the light, the actual footage is just a little bit too dark. But it is sort of quite important to, to, to what the message I want to say. So I'm going to just try and give you a, a brief picture of what the scenario I was going to show you look like, what it looks like. And it was a clip from a film called Hacksaw Ridge. Has anyone seen that? Can I have a quick show of hands? Who's seen that? Yeah, about a third of you. It's a really, really good film. If you haven't seen it, and if you're not too squeamish, then <laughs> give it a go. It's really good. I'm afraid for the rest of you, I'm about to tell you what happens. It's really annoying, isn't it? So you can put your fingers in your ears if you don't want to know the story. But it's about uh, a guy called Private Desmond Doss, and he refused to bear arms in World War II. So he was a Christian... He was a conscientious objector. He wouldn't pick up a gun. But still, he enlisted in the army. He wanted to serve. He was in the 77th Infantry Division. And they were trying to take a ridge, a really important um, uh, ridge of strategical uh, importance. They tried to take this ridge. And the Japanese army are up there. And there's this huge, really gory, bloody battle. And in the end, the 77th Infantry, they retreat. And they... You know, with lots and lots of losses. But Desmond Doss stays up there. And he could have got down. And he stays up there. Because he's the medic, you see. That's how he's found his way in. And he's looking and he's, trying to, and he's trying to just get the bodies. And what he does is he gets this sort of winch system. And he winches them over the edge of the cliff. And no one else is there. The, 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 all his colleagues have gone. There's bullets flying. It's a war zone. But he's trying to save as many people as he can. And uh, the bit in the clip that I was going to show you is where he's, he's there and, and he's literally dragging these bodies and, he, and he's getting shot at and he's saying, Lord, help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. And it is so heroic. It's a totally true story. And he goes and he comes back and he winches over the cliff. And he goes and he comes back and he winches another one. And it's a miracle how he doesn't get shot. He manages to save 75 soldiers. 75 lives were saved because he was trying to do it. He was trying to do it, and he, all the time he's, Lord, one more for Jesus is really powerful. Um, he was actually awarded the, the Congressional Medal of Honor. And also, the, the last bit of the story, which is really great as well, is the next day his troop refused to go climb back up that ridge until he had finished praying for them. They, you see, they had witnessed the power of God. What an impact that guy had made. Finally, I wanted to mention another hero, 
and we've mentioned him already today, but I wanted to mention our former elder and friend, Ben, who sadly passed away last year. And the thing about Ben was, and I know not everyone knew him, but he was passionate for Jesus, wasn't he? It, it was just all over him. It was so infectious. And, and this rang true right, right at the end, those days towards the end. He was in hospital, and there were medical staff all around, and he was just telling them about Jesus. He wasn't concentrating on how he was feeling or anything else. I'm sure that comes into his mind sometimes, but he was wanting to share the gospel with people. And he phones Owen up and he gives him a call and says, Owen, I need you to get me some Bibles. Bring some Bibles in. And I was like, why do I get Bibles? Well, we should have them in the church, shouldn't we? But anyway, it still seemed to be an issue for Owen to get Bibles. But, <laughs> but anyway, you did get managed to get your hands on some and, and Ben gave them to whoever he was talking to. But it was, it, yeah, it was a powerful story of a great man. Um, it was an inspiration. He was reaching out to just one more until the end. Paul says in Acts 20, 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I don't know about you, but those three stories, and they could have been shared by countless other women and men, it really impacts me, it really hits it's hard. Stir something deep inside of me. And that's why we've come up with a slogan for our summer series, and it is just one more. So hopefully from these stories, those, those that are here, you'll remember sort of why we're doing it, just one more. Let's not wait until we're facing the end to do our bit and share the good news of God's grace. So it's being passionate enough. I heard Brian Stevenson speak at the HTB Leadership Conference. He's an American lawyer and a social justice activist. And he said, we can't solve the world's problems at a distance. We need to get up close to the people we want to help. Because that proximity helps us truly understand them, their problems and their possible solutions. He went on to explain that when he looks at the Gospels, he sees the same proximity in Jesus' life as he moved among and got up close to the most broken people in our society. To me, this is what Brian Stevenson says, to me, the Great Commission is a call to get approximate. I'm really grateful, and it's great to have mum and dad up here today um, to support me. Uh, I'm grateful I grew up in a home where those that had nowhere else to go were invited to Sunday lunch. I'm sure that early exposure to proximity had a positive impact on me as well as them. And it's great also, I just, as, as an aside, it's great that Bill and Jen, you know, they invite Sam and Cherry to Food Bank and they expose them to that proximity within the boundaries. And I just think that's great, a great way to bring up kids. I wanted to give you an example within our church of where being proximate has made a real difference. I hope I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I'm looking at you, Lucy. <laughs> She's like, what? what's he going to say? So I want to talk about Rose. Rose, where, where are you, Rose? Give us a wave. She sort of knows I'm going to say something. Let's give her a clap. <clears throat> Rose has been away for a little bit. We've missed you, Rose. <clears throat> but you, we've known where you've been, so we've known you've been okay. You've been on holiday, haven't you? Seeing um, friends in Jamaica and family. But Rose um, first wandered into the community centre, um, and I'm so glad you did in the middle of the week one day, and she was there, and, and Joe and I were there in the office, 
<coughs> so what's going on in this community centre? Is there anything I can get involved in? It wasn't actually too much at the time. We sort of we had bits and pieces. But the one thing that we do have going during the week is the, the, the coffee morning. And it's changed days. It's now Monday. If anyone wants to go for women's coffee morning. So I rang Lucy or got in touch with Lucy. I said, Lucy, there's this lady Rose. Can we, can we do something? Can we, like, well, no, in, fact, in fact, I said she's going to come. I think I just left it at that. But I also said that Rose has... It, her eyesight's not great. And just to be mindful of that, but hopefully she's going to come. And Lucy said, well, let, give me her number. Let me see what I can do. And so, oh, great, thanks, okay. I gave Lucy Rose's number. She, she texted and called. I think it's, it's a landline, isn't it? So she called. She went to her house. She arranged to meet up. I think you ended up going into, into Brixton, getting some prescriptions, having a, getting some food, I think, and having a coffee and, and all the rest of it. And, and Lucy spent that time with Rose. And now, Rose, it's great you're here. And, and I, I think you enjoy it. Am I right? Yeah, good. We spoke during the week, and <clears throat> Rose gave me this couple of fantastic quotes. <clears throat> well, first of all, she said, what you do so well as a church is you love one another. And that's wonderful, isn't it? What a wonderful testimony. Thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> and she also quoted this bit of scripture that says, whatever we do unto one, we do unto God. Isn't that great motivation for us? And I, I tell you what, she's got loads of words of wisdom like that. So if you get a chance to, to speak to Rose, she'll, she'll enrich you. But I'm sure Lucy could have easily had stuff on on that day. I'm sure she had Joel. Of course she had Joel. So there's that. <laughs> always, means, <coughs> always means there's lots of things to be done, isn't it? <clears throat> but Lucy pushed through what I assume was a momentary moment of inconvenience. I'm sure it was nothing major, but she pushed through that because she wanted to show love to Rose. And now, you know, they've got a great relationship and it's just wonderful to have Rose here. So, sorry to embarrass you, Lucy, but you are an example of us as a church and how we can be proximate. You don't have to be an expert. I heard this quote recently. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. You just have to get close to someone. I know lots of you already do this, and you have your own stories, but can I encourage us as a church to get proximate to people? Brian Stevens also said, do things that are inconvenient and uncomfortable. I know it's not always easy in the workplace or if you're picking up children from school, and that's one of the reasons that I love the ministries that we have as a church to get involved in. If you aren't finding opportunities easy to come by and it's not easy to get proximate to people, then there's a number of ways you can get involved. And they're going to be on the screen here. So I think we, all, we, we know a lot of them, don't we? We've got Food Bank, we've got CAP, and incidentally, for CAP, just midweek, for those that don't know, I help run the, manage the CAP debt centre that we run at this church. We do need volunteers for CAP, so if you're around in the day and you want to get proximate to people, come and speak to me. Uh, but thank you for all those that serve at the moment. There's, there's a number that already do. Um, we've got the Women's Coffee Morning. Um, we're hoping to launch, in fact, I'm sure we will launch something new for CAP, actually, coming soon. I need to chat to Lally and the steering group to, to see where we're going with that. But uh, hopefully a life skills or a job club or something like that, to be more opportunities there, we might do some, uh, a CAP drop-in. Emma, we've already heard about the single mums, absolutely love what she's doing there, connecting to those ladies. There's lots of ways that you can get involved, so, so do come and speak to, to me, to Owen, to Phil. And if you've got something that's on your heart as well, if there's something through this series, you think, 
you know, as potentially we may be getting more time, more room, we might have even five days a week as a church where we can do stuff, come and speak to us. If God's putting something on your heart and it's something that we can help support, let us know. Okay, let's look at the last P then of the four, and it's people. I'm going to tell you a story of Old Testament Israel. Are you sitting comfortably? Okay, good. A bit of a story. I need to get a bit animated for this. Let's have some room. So Old Testament Israel, just after Joshua had, con- Joshua had conquered the promised land. Quite a lush place. So it's not the desert that you might imagine. There are fields and glades and olives and trees. It's a land of milk and honey. Our, stor- our story is about Nathaniel. Truth be told, Nathaniel isn't an important or a rich man. In fact, he struggles to get by and provide for his family. He goes out one day with his best friend Hezron to collect wood, to heat food for families and cook evening meals. They set out on this day just to chop some wood and they see a neighbour nearby doing the same. It's difficult work. It's back-breaking work. Nathaniel begins to chop some wood and as he goes down to strike... (laughs) Oh, gosh. And he goes down to strike again. Let's have one more... That is, that is a gate crashing at the same time, which uh, should be a little bit later on. But anyway, you get the idea. There's a chopping noise. <laughs> okay. After about an hour, Nathaniel is glad. They're almost finished, and they can get back to their families. He goes to take the final strike, and he lifts up the axe to strike. <laughs> this is the bit where there should be no sound. Okay. That went really wrong. And he strikes, and there's no sound. <laughs> <laughs> wow, just can't get the staff. Sorry, Bill. But <laughs> the point we're trying to make here: there's no sound because the axe has gone flying off. There is no sound. Um, something doesn't feel right. He didn't connect. He has not connected his axe right onto the top. He looks down in horror and he sees his best friend Hezron lying on the floor. Nathaniel checks his pulse. It's a fatal blow. He's dead. The full weight of, ha- of what has happened starts to sink in. It's his childhood friend. His mind goes to Hezron's family. Then the full weight descends as he realises what this means to him and what it means to his family. The law back in those days is the law of blood vengeance and it is allowed for manslaughter. Hezron's family can put him in front of a judge and he will be put to death. He stands there not knowing what to do. Standing in God's land, Israel, he starts to think about the God of Israel. And he thinks, God, are you there? Are you real? Do you care about me? What am I going to do? And it's then, as as if by some divine inspiration, that he remembers Romath Gilead. Romath Gilead is a city that isn't too far away. It's a special city. It's a Levitical city. It's a holy city. It's a city run by God's people. This place is something different. He knows if he can get there, then he will be shown mercy. It's a city on a hill, if you like. He knows it's quite far away. Will he be able to make it in time? You see, what happened is the neighbour who was working in the glades nearby is also no longer there. Nathaniel knows he's gone to tell Hezron's family. They will be gathering up horses. They will be coming to put him on trial. 
He knows he has one shot. Maybe I can make it. He gets down and girds up his loins. No one knows what that means, but I think that's what biblical people do. They gird up their loins. <laughs> okay, and he sets off on a mad dash towards hopeful mercy and redemption. He begins to run, and he runs for half an hour, and then he hits the hour mark. And in the distance, he can make out a city. It might look a little like this. They were often made from white limestone. They would glint in the, mi- the midday sun, and in the night the moon would shine off them, always to be seen, and always offering hope for the runner. But at this point, he starts to stumble. He can hear the horses in the distance galloping, the family closing in around him, as he starts to hit the wall like a marathon runner. He's not sure if he's going to make it. But at that point, something else kicks in. You see, there's a watcher on the wall, placed in the tower, just looking for a person like Nathaniel. Up goes the shout, we've got a runner! Make clear the way, get the gates ready. We've got someone coming to safety. Nathaniel hears these words, and it gives him a little lift of hope. Maybe, maybe he can make it. But the voices are speaking to him. There's no point. You're worthless. You've let your family down. You've hurt so many other people. You're better off dead. You might as well give up now. But the voice cries out again, and this time it's to Nathaniel. And again, it's the watcher on the watch post. Keep on going. You're going to make it. Come to our city. Come to our city of refuge. Welcome to our family. Welcome to our city. You're going to make it. You see, Nathaniel, what Nathaniel doesn't know is that this watcher was a runner once too. Someone has shown mercy and now lives their, lives their life longing to show mercy to other people. It's like the angels themselves have lifted up Nathaniel. He can feel that burst of energy as the angels sweep him to the door. He knocks on the door. He pleads his case and they let him in, the door safely shutting behind him. Safety within, refuge, mercy for his problems. This is the story of Nathaniel. So that story of of Nathaniel is actually me trying to tell what is written in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers and ultimately in Joshua. Um, You hear that story, you can look it up for yourself um, and it tells that story. So a little bit about the history of the cities of refuge. You see, when God designed the nation of Israel, he set place plans for how a land run by God should look. It was set up to be different to those around, to show that God, how God would like things to be. It's just part of his plans of a vast system of mercy and redemption built into every aspect of the life of Israel. And one part of that was the cities of refuge. Plans and intentions that were given to Moses in Deuteronomy. But what's real, really special is that they needed a Joshua, the conqueror of the promised land, to put these cities in place. And there were six cities, as you've seen on the map there. They were strategically placed around Israel, reachable wherever people were. Outside these cities, blood vengeance was allowed. But inside these cities, were where mercy was given and blood vengeance wasn't permitted... And we have a great legal system now. You don't see people running to cities. But let me tell you the definition of refuge. 
It's a state of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger or difficulties. So although people do not run to cities like they did then, there are people that need to run all over Lambeth. They're running from debts that they cannot pay, addictions that they cannot outrun, from a benefit system that constantly fails them, from the cost of living that makes day-to-day life increasingly difficult, from abusive relationships, or from poverty or persecution from their home country. They are in desperate need of refuge or a safe place. And less obviously, but still in distress, are those suffering from ill health or relationship breakdowns, the loss of a loved one, or the pressures of raising a family alone. So let me tell you about the refuge of Beacon Church. See, I hope you made the connection now. You, you are the watchers. We are the watchers on the tower. And many of us help. We, we watch on food banking camp and at the coffee morning. But these are just some of our outposts. We are all watchers together. Our church is the city of refuge. If you ever doubted the sanctuary that the, the church has provided, wasn't it great on the weekend away when we heard some of those testimonies? Madupe shared with us how she'd been at other, she had other church experiences where she was the one always giving, giving out and giving out. And actually, coming here, she's receiving. She's receiving love and she's receiving from God. Jennifer shared about the support that she got from the church particularly from, from Emma and, and the single mums group that's starting up. Amazing to hear. I'm really, really pleased you're doing that ministry, Emma. It's fantastic. And Petra shared how if she got a hug from one person, it was like getting a hug from the whole church. Isn't that a fantastic representation of the church? How the church should be functioning as a place of refuge. You see, it was always God's plan to offer refuge to those in distress. It was given to Moses, but it took a Joshua to put it in place. And we're placed strategically where we are by God. So we need to hold our position. We need to strengthen it. And as, as I was thinking about that, I thought that that is something, something maybe prophetic in there. A refuge is only a refuge if you can get to it. The thing about the story and Ramoth Gilead was it was reachable. They weren't just placed in one place. They were placed where people can reach them. I think this speaks of a God, a God who is never far away, a God who is never distant and never far off. God reachable, God accessible, God local, God Emmanuel, God with us. A God who came down from heaven to make a way to the Father, knowing that we could never reach him. Another thing about these cities was they were easy to find and they were welcomed in warmly. Lots of these cities were on a hill. They were gleaming white limestone, built to be seen so the sun would shine on them in day and the moon would gleam on them, on them in night. They were easily seen in their communities. Let's make sure that we know that the people out there know what we're doing here in Beacon. A city on, built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's be a city on Brixton Hill. And also, they were, that was a warm welcome. And we have a fantastic welcome and a hospitality team here that do an amazing job. We run community lunches and we also have a Sunday group that I just want to give a huge shout out for. I think they are just one of the best things that this church does. And when we have new people come in, when we have runners come in, 
There's always that opportunity to go and eat with them, to eat together and to experience the love of God. Keep it up, guys. It's amazing. But let's not get complacent. Let's all continue to watch out for the runner and make sure they know they're in a place of refuge. And as for you runners or or former runners, here's what the Bible says about you in Isaiah 61. Instead of shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. You see, you guys were running away, but now you are watchers on the tower too, just like us, bringing others into a place of safety. And finally, and I've left this to last, our true refuge is Jesus Christ. The place we go when we have problems, let's never ever stop proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ as the true refuge, the true sanctuary, the name we can run to. Nothing compares to this, whatever we do. So how does it all fit together? We are aware that our purpose is to serve God and his mission for us is the Great Commission. So let's fulfil our mission with passion. Let's be inspired by those that have run the race well and start running our race now. Let's get proximate, do as Jesus did, and get close to the broken in society. If you need opportunities, sign up to a ministry opportunity. And the people and the church is a city of refuge. Fulfilling the Great Commission doesn't have to be difficult. Just invite people to church or to one of our summer events and allow them to find the sanctuary in the church, part of God's original plan. By allowing people to encounter God in the church, we will see disciples be made. The church is the place of refuge where God can fulfill the Great Commission. So that's why the Just One More, which is the slogan that we've come up with for our summer series, doesn't have to be a daunting one. It's really just as easy as inviting one of your friends to church. Because you see, the church is this transforming element that God uses. We as the church, we can... God through us can transform lives. So all you need to do is invite someone to one of the events we've got coming up or just a church and allow God to do the rest. And if you're wondering what events we've got on in the summer, you'll be hearing a lot more about them for the, for the upcoming weeks, so you're going you're to find out what's going on. But we've come up with these lovely summer schedule planners, which the welcome team will be giving out shortly after the service can also get them on the welcome table. But it's a really handy way to be actually looking at what have we got on. And we've got some fantastic things coming up. We've got guest speakers. We've already seen Limboid Primus. I can't believe I'm missing Limboid Primus. I am in Hawaii, so it's not the end of the world. <laughs> <coughs> but, you know, it's not often you get an ex-Reading football player coming to speak to the church. <laughs> um, we've got some great speakers. We've got the women's brunch. We've got the... England versus Panama, we're going to be showing uh, on the big screen. We've got men's breakfast, a comedy night, a magic show. We've got the church picnic. We've got a summer barbecue. We've created, we hope, lots and lots of opportunities. And it's not just for us to enjoy as a church, but it's for us to just bring people to, and it is really just as easy as that. So grab one of these afterwards. I think Petra and the team are going to be giving these out. 
Let's get proximate and invite just one more. And let's let God do the rest. Okay, let me finish in praying. Yeah, Father God, we thank you that you gave us that wonderful commission to go out and share the good news about you with others. Lord, we thank you that you, because we love you, because you so first loved us, Lord, you give us that passion and we're excited for you and we want to do what you tell us to do, Lord. We do your commandments, not because you tell us, though, because we love you and we want to just obey you. Lord, you give us passion and we thank you for some of those examples that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that we can get close to people. I thank you that you allow us to do that. I thank you that you modelled it, Lord. You showed us what it is to get close to people. And I pray that we might be able to get close to people and build relationship. And then just over the summer, invite people to some of these opportunities. And Lord, I thank you that you designed your church, your bride. Lord, we are created in your image. And your church is your bride. And I thank you that we know that we can just invite people to this church. And Lord, they will encounter you. Lord, they will encounter transformation. And they will encounter the true and living God through the service, through the word, through the people. Lord, thank you for for your church. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.